Good to see you guys this morning. Um, if you haven't, if you're just following along on the screen, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 8. Uh, we're back in the Gospel of Luke this morning, as we just saw, and uh, we're looking at one of the most famous parables uh, that Jesus ever told. It's actually so famous that it's in all three of the synoptic Gospels, uh, which is Matthew, Mark, and Luke, if, if you're unfamiliar with that term. Uh, but it's the parable of the sower. And uh, these parables, especially the one that we see today, uh, it's showing us the eternal value of hearing, of hearing. Uh, Jesus' parables, it's important to know this, that they are really short, fictional stories, uh, but they are based upon a very real and firm reality in life. And uh, really just the word itself is really helpful to even explain. The word in Greek is um, para, which means beside, and bolas, which means to throw something beside something else. And so it's kind of saying, here's this, I'm going to throw something beside that thing and say this is kind of like that. And so when Jesus is telling a parable, he's saying, you know this thing, like in our passage this morning, it's sowing seeds and stuff. He's like, this is like the kingdom. It's like the kingdom of God. That's what all these, par- this, all these parables are about. You see, there is a true king whose reign as king will never end, and his name is Jesus. And through him, there's a kingdom that is growing. There's a kingdom that's being established. And you might be thinking, well, what is the kingdom of God? What, what is that then? We often don't think in terms of kingdom unless you're like obsessed with the royal family or something. That's kind of the only time that these kind of ideas come into our minds. So to really understand what the kingdom of God is, you could think of it this way. It's, it's the rule and the reign and the authority of God realized in the lives of his people. So the kingdom of God is. It's his rule, his reign, and his authority realized in the lives of his people. See, the fact of the matter is there's something that's ruling us. There's something that's ruling us. Something or someone is your king. You have an authority over you that you've either placed there or or you've given authority to something and, and you're being ruled in some way, even if that person is you. And as followers of Jesus, we know that we are a part of something so much bigger than just us at GBC. And when we read places like Hebrews 12, it tells us that what we are part of is God's kingdom and that kingdom will never be shaken. And we're even told, you'll see this later on in Luke, Jesus tells us as his disciples to pray that his kingdom would come. We're told to pray that. But the question that our our parable is really asking this morning and answering for us is, is how does the kingdom of God grow? Do you just pray for the kingdom of God to grow or is there an activity that we're a part of in which or by which the kingdom of God actually grows? How do you think Jesus' kingdom grows? What does it take? And who's really a part of the kingdom? All these questions our passage addresses this morning. And um, if, if you like botany, I mean, you're going to love today. So, I don't know. Yeah? Yeah? All right. So, uh, you're probably wagging your tail right now, seriously. So, because what we see is the seed of the kingdom, what that is. We also have to look at what the soil of the kingdom is. And then finally, the people of the kingdom. So the seed and the soil and the people of the kingdom. I know you felt some alliteration coming on, but I'm not going to scratch that itch. Sorry, I'm not going to do it. I joked with somebody that I could say the seed, the soils, and the citizens, but I'm not going to be a bad speller. So um, anyways, here we go. The seed of the kingdom, verses 4 through, we're going to go down through verse 11. When a great crowd was gathering, 
people from town after town came to Jesus. And he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot and the birds of the air devoured it and some fell along rock and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and, and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And as Jesus said these things, he called out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others, they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now, the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. We're going to stop there for now. See, when you read this, what kind of questions come to your mind? If you're really reading it, what kind of questions enter into your mind? I bet you're asking what I ask every time I read this. Why is Jesus so secretive? You know, what's with this thing that he doesn't want people to hear, it seems, right? We, we actually need to answer this right out of the gate if we're going to really understand what's going on here. Notice, again, Jesus is telling this parable to a crowd, Okay, there's a crowd we see in verse four, a great crowd actually that's gathering to hear his teaching. Before this, we know that in the crowd is the disciples, right? We see that in verses one through three. There's people following Jesus. There's his disciples that he's chosen and we know that there's others too. There's women here, Mary, Magdalene, right? There's, there's Joanna, there's Susanna. This is people following Jesus. So we have the disciples and we have the crowd, okay? And the disciples come to Jesus in verses nine and 10 and ask him, what, what does this parable mean? We don't understand. And as Jesus says that it has been given to them to know the secrets of the kingdom. They've been given secrets. It's literally the word mystery. Paul uses this word 21 times actually in the Bible, this word mystery. And all it communicates is a truth that would remain unknown had God not revealed it. That's what a mystery is in the Bible. And it means the exact same thing here. Right, something that we wouldn't know if God doesn't reveal it to us. So Jesus tells the parables to the crowd. They don't get the inside secret information. And so in a real sense, they have no idea what Jesus is talking about. I mean, maybe they do, but we don't know. We, don't, we assume they don't know. For all we know, they think Jesus is talking about yard work or something. Just, I don't know what that is. Interesting. Let's, let's move on to something else, right? I almost think of it like when you're watching a commercial and you have no idea what the commercial's about. You're just fascinated, like, what is this selling me? You know, and you get to the very end and they tell you the brand or whatever, and you're like, oh, okay, I guess that makes sense. Or maybe it doesn't make sense at all, right? It's, it's kind of like they're seeing this commercial, they have no idea what it's about, and the disciples are let in at the very end about what the brand is, but for them, they have no insight, right? It's just, that was interesting commercial, okay? Maybe I'm the only one, but I'm often confused by them. But anyway, so what Jesus is talking about here is he's wanting to let his disciples in on it, and he quotes Isaiah chapter six, right? He says, seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. That's from Isaiah chapter six. So is Jesus actually saying that he speaks in parables to make sure that people won't hear or see the truth of the kingdom? Yeah, it's what he's saying. Let's, let's turn in our Bibles to Isaiah chapter six. Let's do, let's do that. We don't have it on the screen, so you're gonna need to flip over with me to Isaiah chapter six. This will be important for us. 
Isaiah chapter six, you have Isaiah, the prophet, who sees a vision of God in the, in the heavenly throne room, right? He's overcome with the holiness of God, overwhelmed by his sin, and God calls out saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Isaiah says, here I am, send me. You've heard that before. And God says, okay, this is what I want you to, I'm gonna send you out to say. What does he say? Look in verse nine. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, and their ears heavy, and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Then I said, how long, O Lord? And he said, until cities lie waste, without inhabitant, and houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste, and the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. All right, so Isaiah is given a message to go out to God's people and give them a message of judgment. They've had God's word. They have not obeyed it. Right, They've, their hearts have grown hard. This is a word of judgment, you guys. And so it's really important to realize that this passage, the one that Jesus is quoting in Luke chapter eight, is one of the most quoted passages in the New Testament out of the Old Testament. It's really important. And it's found six different times. You can find it in Matthew, in Mark, in John, in Acts, and in Romans. And every single time, it refers to the same exact subject. The same subject. It's the hardened and unbelieving state of mind that the Jewish people were in. It's their hardness of heart, that they were God's people and that they had essentially rejected him. Right? Jesus saw his ministry, you guys, as an extension of Isaiah's. This is here to explain then why the Jews rejected Jesus and put him to death. Right? It is always God's plan. It was always God's plan that Jesus would be rejected, that he would bear the ultimate judgment, and then God's blessing would come. Guys, Jesus is the seed of the stump that will produce a whole new blessing. Like, just look at this. What does it say at the end? There's going to be this exile. God's going to bring in different nations and exile his people but there will remain a remnant. And you saw at the very end there, verse 13, the holy seed is its stump. And then we go through seven, eight, and nine, these chapters, and we often are quoting these around Christmas time, right? God's gonna send a Messiah. He's gonna send Emmanuel to be with us. It's gonna be amazing, right? He's gonna give us a child who's gonna be a king. And then in verse, or chapter 10 of Isaiah, we see basically what this exile looks like. But then ultimately at the end of chapter 10, we see God's gonna bring his people back. And what does it say in chapter 11 of Isaiah, verse one? This is so important. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Right? Do you see what's going on here? Our biggest questions begin to be unlocked for all the other questions that we're gonna have after this. Right, so when we get to this lamp stand here parable, Jesus says that those who are given these mysteries, these secrets, they're gonna be given more. The disciples are said here to be given these secrets. They will be given more of the mystery of this kingdom. Do you see? Right, the judgment, the hardening 
is necessary for Jesus to be rejected and die. This is the plan of God, that Jesus would be rejected by his people and die, but then the blessing would come. This is necessary. This is why you see Jesus constantly saying, don't tell people what just happened. He needs to die. It's the blessing of the kingdom that's going to come, right? And so, this is the big secret here. How does the kingdom grow? Well, we have a sower. And the way that this sower sows is very common in farming, I imagine, right? Especially at the time of Christ, they wouldn't go and, and till up or plow the ground. They would just go out and, and really liberally cast seed everywhere. So Jesus is primarily the one that's represented here as the sower. And in a very real sense, the sower is anyone who goes out and dispenses this seed. Well, what's the seed? We read it in verse 10, right? What is it? Verse 11, excuse me. It's the word of God. What's the word of God? But also look in verse 1. What is Jesus doing? He's the real sower, right? He's going out through cities and villages doing what? Proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. This is what this seed is. So how does the kingdom of God grow? What's the secret? Right? It starts with something that seems small, as, as small as a seed. Guys, this, this point that the seed is the word could be easy for me to skip over uh, but, it, but it's, it's really important that we don't because we must realize even in a time like this that regardless of what polls people do, regardless of what opinions people have, regardless of what kind of creativity we can offer, the way that we primarily do ministry, the primary activity of the kingdom is sowing the word of God right? it, in the lives then of other people. Right? God works through his word. God works through his word. If, if your heart pushes back on that at all, I lovingly ask you this morning, are you hearing this word from Jesus? This is not my idea. I'm not saying this because you might perceive me as Josh, the guy who kind of likes the Bible or something, right? No, Jesus loves the Bible, right? He's the sower. Okay, this isn't my thing. This is Jesus' thing. This is the king's thing. Okay, this is why we must never substitute the reading, the hearing, the preaching, the teaching, the, the encouraging that happens when we proclaim God's word, when we speak the gospel to each other, when we speak the truth in love to one another. This is the primary activity. There's no substitutes. This is it. This hasn't changed. It never will. It doesn't even change in a time like this. Right? You can sow a lot of things, but it's only the seed of God's word that will bring about any type of real vegetation that's going to last. If I replace the seed that I actually need with the seed that I think is better, I won't get what I'm after, will I? Right? If I were baking cookies and I was tired of flour, I was like, we're always using flour for cookies. Let's stop using flour. I'm going to use sugar instead, right? It'll make it sweeter. It's, it's even white. You know, if I replace that with a different ingredient, what am I gonna get, right? I don't know what it is, but it ain't a cookie, right? I'll have to eat it with a spoon maybe. No one's gonna wanna eat it, right? It's not going to work, right? I can't replace that. In the same way, if I sow something in place of the seed of the word that Jesus says produces growth in the kingdom, I don't know what I'm gonna get, but it's not the kingdom. That's why Paul says in Romans 10, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. 
right? How does the kingdom grow? It starts with the seed. But then we are told the soil it lands in is really critical too. Look at this, in verses 12 through 15, we see these soils. I don't know if you've ever noticed that people can have completely different responses to the word of God, right? Sometimes people are weeping and the other person's like, what time is it? You know, is it lunchtime? You know, should we, can we get out of here? You know, there are real forces at work internally and externally that are determining our Christian experience and faithfulness, right? We have a heart condition. Proverbs chapter four says, guard your heart above all else. This is why. Where we're being told here that the seed of God's word, it lands in your life and based upon the soil of your heart does what it is capable of or because of various conditions and it's either fruitful or unfruitful. So we need the seed, we need the sowers, but we need the right kind of soil. Um, so here's the four kind of different heart types that we see here. We see, first of all, the hard heart. We see the shallow heart. We see the crowded heart. And we see the good heart. Right? The hard heart, the shallow heart, the crowded heart, and the good heart. Now, if you're already assessing which heart you are, I imagine you're already like, well, I'm the good one. You know? I'm the good soil. You know? And maybe you are. But let's, let's just wait and see. Okay? So the first one is the hard heart, right? Verse 12, this is the unresponsive heart really is what it is. Verse 12, the, the ones along the path are those that have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that may, may not believe, they may not believe and be saved. I mean, how in the world does somebody's heart become hard? Even if you've had your heart at some point soft and now it's hard, like how does that happen? Well, think about it. Pain and disappointment, they're not relative. They're all very real things that happen to us. And, and so those things bring hardness. Right? Your life can feel like a pathway, can it? Your heart can feel that way. So hard from all the travel that others in the world or our circumstances in life have trampled on us, so you've maybe felt really disappointed in your life. You've been hurt. You've been burned. Now your heart, maybe even towards God, is jaded. Right? Jesus describes this, this heart condition here. The horrible truth that Jesus is trying to save us from is that Satan takes advantage of really difficult places. He looks to take away the truth of God's word, didn't, doesn't he? That's what it says there. If this is you, you might find yourself distancing yourself from other believers at this point in your life. You might find yourself getting angry when anybody brings up anything about God to you. Honestly, you might try to appear as a very spiritual person. You can play the part. And even when I listed all these soils, you're like, I'm definitely the good one. You still think that. But ultimately, you aren't really looking for God to say anything to you, and you kind of don't want him to because if he did, you knew what that would demand from you. But the, the hardest part, I think, of this heart is, is that if you can't really assess it because if your heart's really hard, you're not going to really see it. You're not going to realize it. But this is what it is. You have the shallow heart, right? Verse 13, what does the shallow heart say? The ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while, and in a time of testing, they fall away. If you've ever gone to like dig a, a hole to like plant something or whatever, and as you've done that, you're like, this feels good, and then you get an inch or two deep, and you hit just like a huge boulder or something that you perceive as underground, what do you do? You move on. 
right? You're not going to try to plant something there. You know that eventually that's not going to be good for the root of that plant, right? This is what this image is for us. These are people who actually might appear to be good and healthy soil. But what happens? Even in their emotiveness, as they hear God's word and they spring up and they say, yes, I'm going to do that. I'm going to follow God. I'm going to do everything, you know, that he asks me to do. What happens? There comes a time where they are tested and tried in life There's no depth to their spiritual heart, and so the plant withers and dies. That's what it says. This is the heart that the moment difficulty comes, whether that is actual persecution, whether that is just suffering, what in the world is going on? Why would God do this? And you kind of abandon him or something. In these kinds of moments, there's a receptive surface. Do you see it? But there's a super high wall beneath that surface. It's I'm receptive to God's word, but on my own conditions. If I can live my life this way, I'll receive the word. There's a protectiveness there. There's a high wall of self-preservation. This is the person that gets excited for Jesus, but on their own conditions. It's a facade. And it's in the persecution and trial of life that the truth of the soil is discovered. Then we have the crowded heart, which is the preoccupied heart. See that in verse 14? And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go their own way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. Right, these are people who have the seed in them. It grows, they seem faithful, even begin to bear fruit, it says, though it doesn't mature because they are surrounded and fatuated by things in life, not even bad things, good things, because what does it say? The cares of the world, Right? Cares of the world means that there's things that seem important and you gotta have to do them, right? Riches in life, you know? Trying to build your own security or your own enjoyment, that's why it leads into the pleasures in life. You're living for the next high, the next hit, right? Maybe they are obsessed with wanting to feel secure in their life, wanting other people to like them or they're seeking comfort constantly and the focus in life goes from the eternal all the way down to the temporary. And it says the word gets choked out and dies, doesn't it? But why is it that when we get to this one, I feel like this is where we usually are like, that's totally, that's me. Why is that the case? Why why is this one of our greatest susceptibilities? Well, let's just be honest. We kind of like the weeds more than we like to admit, don't we? We kind of like the weeds. We like the both and. I mean, I, I remember uh, when we lived in Corvallis, we had this weed in our yard that I kind of liked, okay? Had these like purple flowers on it. It smelled kind of minty and kind of smelled good. You could tell me what it was. I don't remember what it, I don't even know what it is. It's like this ground cover plant, super easy to pull up. So I was like, if I ever need to, I can just rip that puppy up. It wasn't even difficult. You know, it was, it was kind of nice. And, but at the end of the day, if I, if I let that weed just keep growing, what's it going to do? It's going to, it's going to, suck away the other nutrients that the other plants that actually want to see grow what they need, right? I want to let them live together, but at the end of the day, it's not going to be a great outcome, and that's the exact same thing. It is the outcome, you guys. And we have the good heart, right? The responsive heart. Jesus describes these heart conditions in verse 15. As for what is in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. So the seed falls on good soil. This represents a heart that's kind of cultivated. It's tilled up. It's, it's ground ready for the seed. 
right? It's capable of growth. And it's interesting, though, about Jesus' words here is, is that he says, it, well, we know that a typical crop would yield somewhere between about five to 15 fold. So in a harvest year, if you yielded 10 fold on your crop, that was like, that's a great year. But what does Jesus say this crop yields? Verse eight, what does it say? It yields a hundred fold. We're all like, that's cool. But this is amazing, okay? This is, this is not normal. We see in stories like Isaac's story in Genesis 26 that yielding a hundredfold on your crop represented the blessing of God, okay? So in other words, it was something that God was only capable of. Wow, that wasn't designed. I don't know what that was. That was great. All right, but something that only God is capable of. Well, what makes this soil different then? Well, they hold on to the word in an honest and good heart and they patiently bear fruit. And it produces something that you would say only God could do that. You see, the soils are all talking about your hearing, aren't they? But what kind of hearing is going on here? Do you notice that every single soil hears? Do you notice that? Even Jesus says it. Verse 12, the hard heart, they hear. Verse 13, the shallow heart, when they hear. The crowded heart, they're those who hear the good soil, those hearing the word. They're all hearing, what's the difference? Right, what's the difference? Well, if you look at all the other verses, you'll notice that only the good soil holds fast the word. That's the difference. Yes, the shallow heart receives it, but we know this, there's a difference between receiving something and holding fast to something. I don't know why this made me think of um, when we were had younger kids and the kids were growing up, you know, people always, especially in the church, maybe it's a church thing, I don't know, you're constantly getting used clothing from other people, you know, and, and so when, when our kids are getting older and all that kind of thing, I don't want to be ungrateful, but for years, people were always giving us clothing, and so people would be like, hey, Josh, I have this bin of clothing to give you, and I'm like, oh my gosh, okay. As I'm thinking that bin's just going to sit in the garage, it's going to like be there and then eventually I have to get rid of it and it becomes this chore in my mind, okay? But every time someone says, Josh, I have a bin of clothing I need to give you for your kids, that kind of thing, I would receive it every time. I did not hold that thing fast, though. It, it wasn't something that I was truly holding fast, was it? But when we were really young, when we had our babies for the first time, we had absolutely no money, we didn't have accumulated any clothing at all. When people are giving us bins of clothing, we would receive that with a completely different heart, right? I'm like, oh my gosh, yes, I can't afford clothing, right? I can't even, uh, we don't have any clothing. Receiving that bin of clothing was a whole different experience. You could say that I held those bins of clothing very fast, right? Do you see what I'm saying? The difference between receiving and holding something fast. You can reluctantly do that. You cannot see the value of something or you could cherish it. And that's exactly the difference. When you hold something fast, that communicates value. And so the difference here is that the hearer values the word and clings to it. Okay, so these are the options of soil that our hearts are capable of. And it has everything to do with how we hear. This shouldn't lead us to the conclusion that someone's initial response is their final response. No, not at all. We, we, we think of these kinds of things in snapshots, but this is talking about sort of maybe the legacy of your life. How have you received this word. We know that Jesus' ministry even, we see examples of people who reject him initially, but they come around, right? And they eventually show they're the good soil. So there's going to be mixed responses to God's word. These are four responses, but there's only two outcomes, right? One produces a crop and one doesn't. 
And that's who the people of the kingdom are. It's the third thing, right? The people of the kingdom. Look in verse 16. No one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar and puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, and they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he told them, your mother, they told him, he was told, your mother and brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Uh, yesterday, my family made waffles for breakfast. It was very good. And you would say that we were dumb if we made those delicious, warm treasures and just left them on the counter and then they eventually went bad, right? That would not be the point of making waffles, would it, right? That's exactly the picture Jesus is giving us here. You, he says it in different ways though. You don't light a lamp and then put it under the bed, right? No, it, it's, it's supposed to give light. Yes, of course, right? That would be dumb, right, to not do that, okay? Same thing, right? He doesn't sow the word into your life so that you would simply feel smarter. He doesn't sow the word into your life so that you could be an insider. He sows it into your life so that you would do it, right? We read in verse 19 and following that this crowd is so great that's listening to Jesus teach that his mother and his brothers are unable to reach him. So someone tells him that they are outside wanting to see him, we saw that. And what does Jesus say? My true family is who? It's those who hear the word of God. Well, that's what he's been talking about all along. But they also do what? They, they do it, right? It's those who are in verse 15. He's not bashing his mom or his brothers, right? He's, he's not doing that at all. He's just proving a point. He's saying this kingdom that's growing is not just bringing in citizens, it's, it's creating a new family. Right? The kingdom is creating a family and that family that family blood is thicker than biological blood. So who are the people of the kingdom? Verse 21, they're people who do the word, right? As we go on in Luke, we're gonna see the crowd fall away, aren't we? Right, this crowd is here now, but the crowd is going to dwindle. But then one day, the blessing will come. And a new people will rise up, not merely as citizens of the kingdom, but as family, with God as Father, well, it makes them family. Well, they've received and cherished the word and now they're, they're sowing it, right? They're doing it. Do you realize that Jesus' family has been doing this for centuries upon centuries because of the fertile soil in their hearts? Because of that, you sit here today. Do you realize that? that because people have been sowing for centuries, you're in that seat. Right? Many, many people have even lost their lives so you could hold a copy of God's word in your hands and the seed of that gospel that it contains. Do you realize that? Can I remind us of, of William Tyndale who died in 1536 at the young age of 42 because he was translating the Bible from the original Greek and Hebrew texts into common English? And he was killed for doing that. Right? He was strangled to death and he died at the stake and his body was burned. Right, and his final words before his death were what? Lord, open the king of England's eyes. 
And within four years of his death, the same king who ordered him to be put to death ordered the publication of four English translations of the Bible, all based on his work. Do you know how that impacted your life? He's not the only one. Many other people have given their lives attempting to bring the Bible into parts of the world where it's illegal even. Why? Because they know of the seed's power. Last year, I got to go to Birmingham, England, and walking down the street one night, just randomly looked up at this old random industrial building, and they had this plaque on it. That's why it stood out. I was like, why is there a plaque on this building? And this is what the plaque said. John Rogers died in 1555, burnt at the stake for helping translate the Bible into English. He was the first martyr of the Marian persecution. You've probably heard of Bloody Mary, right? It was under that persecution. He was the first martyr. As the Bible you hold was precious enough to so many that they counted it worthy enough to die so that others could have it in their hands, but not just their hands, to have it sewn into their hearts. Guys, because more than a word from God, we should sit here and hear these parables with a sense of gratitude, not because we just have stories. We don't just have words from God. You've been given God. Do you know that? We have, we have the Word Himself made flesh. John begins his gospel famously, thinking of the creation account. He says what? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word, you could recite it, right? The Word was God. The world was made through Him, and not anything was made apart from Him. Do you know how powerful this is when you follow that thread into John's gospel, chapter 12? And this is what Jesus says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified, meaning crucified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He talks about his death as a seed that falls into the ground and dies and rises up and bears all this fruit. Do you see? You don't just have the Bible You don't just have the word of God cast upon your heart. No, the king of the kingdom, the son of God himself, the word made flesh has fallen into the heart of the earth. And upon his death, he has sprung forth from the earth alive, bearing fruit. And it's because the word himself died and was raised. The word is now sown into the soil of your heart and can actually produce more than mere information. It can give you more than interesting thoughts. It can give you more than to-do lists, right? It can give you more than a burdensome law that you can't uphold. His death and resurrection made a way for this word to be written on your heart. If you ever looked at Hebrews chapter 10, it says, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Guys, in other words, Jesus died so that the word might not simply be in your ear, but on your mind and written on your heart. And now when you go out, you go out with the powerful seed of the gospel, and you don't just have information to inform other people, you have words of life that transform other people. I mean, look at the people in verses one through three. Why does Luke start with these people? Why does he talk about Mary? Why does he talk about Joanna? Why does he do this here? Well, if you read the end of Luke, who's at the tomb? It's Mary, right? It's Joanna. It's the disciples. The seed has fallen to the earth and died. He's risen up. 
The judgment has come so that the blessing could be experienced, the good news of the kingdom. And this is why Paul says in Colossians 1, all over the world, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing. Why? Because of the seed of the Messiah that died. Guys, this is your new reality if you're a follower of Jesus, if your life is surrendered to him, if he's the king, right? He he continues to go out and sow in what he sows inevitably produces fruit that glorifies God, and that change in your life is inevitable. It's gradual, it's powerful, and it grows in a communal way. So how does God's kingdom grow? Well, it's through the seed falling on fertile soil that cherishes the gospel word. Guys, may we be those sowing, fertile, cherishing people. He who has ears to hear, right? Let him hear. Father God, this morning, uh, we want to posture ourselves in a way that really recognizes you as a gracious and merciful God. We're so thankful, Lord, for how you have sown your word into our lives. God, I know that we're living in a time where we do feel like we're losing a lot we feel depleted. But God, when we look at Luke 8, we've received so much, even today. God, we thank you for your word. We pray that it would accomplish its purposes in our life. God, we we ask you to do that. In Christ's name, amen.